Hello, everyone, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by senior reporter Sig Christensen. He's on the show today to talk about his latest report on extremists in the military. Welcome back to the show, Sig. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing great. That's great. Um, So let's go ahead and get started. Um, Can you give me a quick recap of your reporting, please? Well, what we did was we wanted to take a look through the eyes of a a group of experts I talk to a lot uh, about the uh, larger issues of of what happened here on January 6th and, and how they kind of bleed into the military. So we know that military uh i'll put it like this we know that the military has had issues uh with gangs criminal gangs for a long time not new way back in uh uh, the end of the invasion my uh stepson was with me in baghdad we were actually in the same battalion through the whole invasion the kid that took the daycare and tucked in at night, uh, the kid I barbecued for. And we're sitting there talking uh, at our lake house across from Alpha Palace about the army. And and I said, Do you, are you going to let your kids join? Because usually it's kind of like a family business when you're in the army and you have kids. A lot of them join the army or they go into the Air Force. And he said, no. And I said, why? And he said, because of the gangs. And that shocked me. Uh, it's not a shocking matter anymore. It's common knowledge. And we also know that there are issues to some degree with uh, with militia people uh, who had served in the military. Uh, so let's just take a look at Timothy McVeigh uh, at Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City bomber. He was in the uh, Army, if I recall. Uh, a number of these people have military connections. Not all of them are right wing violence or extremist uh, uh, incidents that are driven by those things. Some of them were driven by Islamic uh, violence as well. So Nidal Hassan, who killed 13 people and wounded 31 others at Fort Hood, that was a clear case of Islamic radicalism. And actually, uh, that guy was there on jihad. Sorry to interrupt, but looking through your article, you did mention Timothy McVeigh and how he he had been deemed unfit for Green Beret training. I, I just I just stumbled on that again right here. Well, that's you know I wouldn't be surprised if most people who try to go into uh, special operations don't don't make it. Uh, but you know the the fact that a number of these guys over the years have had military backgrounds. That's not news. It's just a fact. So Lee Harvey Oswald, he was a Marine. Uh, the, the guy who did the UT Tower shooting, and I'm trying to remember his name, he had served in the Army. Uh, so I, I think that what we really need to remember is that uh, that's an issue. Now, the larger question is, what is the military going to do about it? Or what can they do about it? Well, they've been trying. They they look for gang tattoos. They look for white uh, 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 nationalist tattoos. Uh, but you know, it's it's not uncommon for some of those folks to get in. Uh, not everybody wears a tattoo 
that keeps them from getting inducted into the army. So, you know, the the military knows it has a problem. Uh, it, there is a passage in the story from John Kirby, who's the uh, uh, public affairs chief for the Pentagon now. And, and John, uh, who's a retired Navy rear admiral, talked to that very issue. He, he said uh, that we, we don't think that there might be a problem. He's, what, he, what he said was, and I'll read this to you. So John Kirby, the uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs, said uh, that the vast majority of those in the military serve with honor and, quote, don't espouse these sorts of dangerous beliefs, end quote. But he added, that doesn't mean that we don't think that there might be a problem. The problem is we don't understand the full scope of it. That's the problem. So what do you do? Uh, nobody really has a clear answer, I think, at the moment, but I'm sure the Pentagon is studying that because uh, they're going to have to do a better job of vetting the people who get in, and they're going to have to try to figure out who is in now, who might be a problem, and get them out before something happens. Later on in your article, you do talk about maybe diversity being a firewall. Can you talk more about that? Well, the more difference differences you have in the military, the more your military looks like society, I think the harder it is for uh, one ideology or uh, or extreme, or for that matter, an extremist ideology to get a lot of oxygen. Uh, so one thing you knew from the draft is that it actually uh, drew from a fairly wide cross-section of our people up until Vietnam. And then at that point, unfortunately, the draft became uh, a little more selective and the poorest uh, and and more people of color ended up uh, serving in the military through those years because a lot of people ended up getting college deferments. That, uh, that was unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, I think when you have a military that has a lot of uh, different people in it, uh, you are going to find that maybe you're going to have a, a a place where people are going to uh, have a lot of different discussions. Uh, I think one thing you're going to see, if you have more uh, diversity in the ranks, uh, you're going to find that people are going to have to hear uh, different opinions from different people, from different parts of the country. Uh, I think the thing that I, I know people worry about in the Army uh, and in the other services is that Many of the people who are joining are people who have military histories. Their families are uh, military families, uncles, aunts, parents. Uh, and uh, I remember Tom Rick saying once that uh, if you looked at a daycare center on on post, uh, those kids were your future soldiers. Uh, and it's true. Uh, those people are living with the military. They learn about the military because they have a firsthand experience from it and they're comfortable with the military. Quite a few of those people join. I, I think what, uh, what maybe some people want to see more of is maybe fewer people from the armed services with a history of the armed services joining. The notion of diversity is a firewall uh, against extremist ideology. Uh, there may be something to that. Um, 
the thing I'm pretty sure of is that uh, if you have people from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different political ideologies, because you grow up with that, uh, uh, I think the, the least that you're going to have um, in, in, uh, in, in formations and when you go out the train, when you sit down and talk for dinner, you might find that uh, two guys over there are conservative and three guys over there are more liberal, and they have to actually sit and listen to what the other person says. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's what we used to do in this country. We used to not be so polarized. Uh, we used to be capable of listening to each other. Uh, and it might be that people wouldn't change their minds, but I think that if you just take a look at where we are now, we've become so polarized, that doesn't happen very much anymore. In fact, I think uh, people probably go out of their way to avoid a political conversation wherever they can nowadays, because it always leads to an argument and sometimes a bad one. So let me switch over to, to you and as a journalist, as a reporter, when, what was the impetus for this specific, uh, was it the, 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 the riots at the Capitol? Is that when you decided to start writing this? You mentioned that the, um, it's common knowledge that there are gangs and extremism that comes out of the military. We've seen, you've, you've highlighted several examples of it. What, how did you get to writing this article now? Well, this, this story actually came through a couple of uh, my bosses, a couple of the editors who thought it was a good story to do. And I pretty much agreed with that. Uh, I, uh, I, I will concede I didn't necessarily think about doing this as a story, although uh, once it was suggested to me, I said, yeah, you could do that. And there are people I know uh, in my source list who would be really good sources to talk with. There are people from a variety of backgrounds, speaking of diversity, uh, and some are military and some are not. Sebastian Younger, for example, uh, uh, is more an anthropologist who has written books that have a really powerful anthropological perspective. So Tribe, one of his latest books, is a great example of that. He also wrote the book War about uh, a group of soldiers that he was with in Af Afghanistan. And he was part of a documentary done in the same place called Restrepo. And he did that with the documentary, documentary filmmaker Tim Hetherington, who later was killed along with Chris Andros in, uh, in Libya. Uh, they were both killed the same day. Uh, so what I love about Sebastian, just for example, is that he is a really good thinker. And he's... He's got an anthropological perspective to, uh, to how he views the world. And uh, that is invaluable because if you live among people and you study them, you come to certain insights pretty quickly and he is full of them. So he's one guy. And then there are other people who have uh, military backgrounds and Mark Pitcavage, who is with the Anti-Defamation League. And uh, he has studied this issue going back to 1994, he's been that involved in the study of it. So 94, we're talking about 30 years coming on here. Um, they're all real experienced folks. Plus and, your expertise in the military as well. Yeah, and 
it's my expertise is more general. I mean, uh, I've written about extremist violence before. So I covered the abortion clinic shooting in 1994 in Pensacola, which was an extremist attack that led to the deaths of an abortion clinic doctor and one other person. If I remember right, two people were killed in that attack. And I ended up having to handle the case of the guy who was convicted of it, Paul Hill. I was going to uh, cover his execution. Uh, and that guy would call me every Sunday night. And he went from telling me that uh, he had been influenced by a radical preacher in Milton, Florida, which was not really new, at least it wasn't to me, to saying before I ended up moving here to take this job that um, he was innocent and someone else had done it. Uh, so uh, I've also covered other uh, uh, events like the Branch Davidian siege. And while I didn't cover the Oklahoma City bombing, I knew almost the same day that it was almost certainly a domestic terrorist attack because I talked to the former FBI director, Bill Sessions, about it. And he said it was not Islamic extremist violence. So he had an idea of what was going on. And then somebody reminded me of the date. And I said, oh, my God, it was two years ago today that the Davidian siege ended. It ended with the compound burning down, and that radicalized people. So I have some background in this, but as a military writer, I'm much more of a generalist. Uh, I would say that if I have a concentration in, in my expertise, it's having spent a lot of time in the war zone with soldiers. Uh, but I haven't really written much about this. Um, what, I, what I have learned of it, though, is that it's not a shock. People have, people have got to deal with that. It's a fact that we have extremists in the military, just like we have gangs in the military. Uh, they are probably not a large group of people, uh, but they're also very, very hard to find. They're not visible. You usually find out about them after the fact, after something has happened. So you found out about Tim McVeigh after the fact. Uh, and you know, we found out about um, about Lee Harvey Oswald after the fact. So, you know, the problem is getting some visibility on that. And everybody agreed this was a good subject to tackle, that it was overdue, and that January 6th reminded all of us, uh, and, and what we've learned since January 6th reminded all of us, uh, that there has been a military connection to a lot of, uh, of extremist violence over the years. And like it or not, it's usually more often than not uh, coming from right-wing violence, right-wing ideology. Uh, the the uh, federal government has talked about it. It's not new either. They've raised that issue in the past. Uh, but the ideology issue doesn't doesn't concern me so much. I don't care where it's coming from. It's how do you stop it? How do you prevent an attack before it happens? And I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure that that's possible. Uh, nobody could stop Nidal Hassan. Nobody knew he was about to do what he did. Uh, nobody knew what Ivan Lopez was going to do. He was a specialist who killed three people at Fort Hood. I think it was 2014. Uh, and we mentioned that case in the story. Uh, you, you go through the list and 
there's just no way to predict it. There's no way to interdict it. That's the problem that the Pentagon's got on its hands right now. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. I really appreciate your expertise, Sig. Uh, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Um, if, I, if I'd say one other thing uh, about this, uh, it's that uh, we're going to see uh, attempts uh, in the next year or more to get a better handle on who out there is involved in this violence. And there's going to be, I'll predict, uh, a firestorm over uh, concern that civil liberties are going to be violated. That's a, that's a delicate wire to try to balance. That's a high wire act if, if there is one. Uh, and, and I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to bet that in general, we do not end up solving the problem that we've got now. Uh, people who think that we're going to be able to know about stuff like this before it happens. Well, I wish we could, but so far the track record isn't, isn't very hopeful on that. So, uh, uh, will we see this again? We probably will. Uh, and, and a lot of people are concerned that we're entering a period of, uh, even more extreme violence than we have seen in a number of years. I lived in 68. I was 10 years old in 68. And I remember that year really well. Uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. Riots all over the country. Uh, the Olympics, talk about a politicized event. Uh, the Mexico City Olympics were where the two black athletes stood and gave the black power salute, which scandalized people. But that should give you a sense of how angry a lot of different groups in this country were in 1968. And then the weathermen came after that. That was a leftist group. Uh, the Black Panthers could be violent. And then there were other groups that we know about that were kind of odd groups that weren't very well known. Uh, and there was occasional violence for them. Uh, and that went on through some part of the 70s. Uh, I'm afraid that's where we are again. I'm not sure how it can stop. Um, and, and it's weird to see history repeating itself. For me, it's, it's, uh, it's really sad to see this happening all over again. Um, because innocent people are always the ones who end up getting hurt the most. Innocent people. In Oklahoma City, there were children who were killed. Uh, 76 people were killed, 25 of them children. I, I just, I, I don't know who can be sympathetic to that. And I don't know who would want to see a thing like that repeated. I hope it's not, but I'm afraid we're heading into, uh, into that kind of cycle again. It seems, it seems to repeat itself in our country. Gotcha. I guess I'll leave it with that. All right. Well, thanks again, Sig. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you.